The reading today can be found on page 1028 in the Church Bibles. That's 1028. Luke chapter 2, beginning at the 21st verse. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good to see you all again. It doesn't seem long since I was here, here last night, is it really? But anyway. Uh, lovely to be having Christmas in August. The, and the great thing about it is that we don't need to get bogged down in all the tinsel, much as I love tinsel, or all the wrapping paper, much as much as I love wrapping paper, or the presents, or the arguing, the, the discussion of which relative we'll see on which particular day, etc., etc. But we can actually concentrate on something of the meaning of Christmas from a Christian point of view which sometimes, inevitably, gets buried underneath all the wrapping paper and tinsel. Here we have a great chance to prepare inwardly for, for Christmas. And we're thinking about the baby Jesus and a particular scene from his life when he was taken to the temple. And as we heard in our reading from Simon, so thank you, Simon, uh, there were four adults involved, Mary and Joseph, not surprisingly, uh, and then two people that we never hear about any other time, Simeon, doesn't even give us a second name, so we don't know what family he was from, just Simeon somebody, who appears and disappears. And then Anna, we don't know a lot about Anna, uh, but we know what family she was from. So that's a little, little tidbit of information. 
And these were people who were involved in the life of Jesus when he was a baby. And I want us just to ask ourselves, what kind of people did God trust his son to? What kind of people did he give his son to act as parents? And what kind of people influenced those parents? And even that, that baby at that early stage, what kind of people were they? Were they anything like us? Or were they completely different to us? Shall we pray? Father, again, we thank you for your love that always surrounds us and is always there in front of us and behind us, leading us on. We thank you for your word that is, as it were, your voice speaking to us, calling us nearer to yourself. Help us to hear your voice today and to respond in our hearts and to move nearer into your loving embrace. For the sake of your Son, our Saviour. Amen. Amen. Just sort me bits and pieces out. Now, it's, it's uh, an interesting little, little passage that we, that we sometimes look at, maybe not, not exactly at Christmas time, a little bit after, possibly, um, but it is, it is p- part of the infancy narratives of Jesus. And it, 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 it's really two, two different scenes. Because the circumcision of Jesus, when he's eight days old, is actually on a different day to the visit to the temple. The, the pu- purification, uh, according to the law of Moses, and you can find out all about it if, you're, if you want to look back into uh, good old book of Leviticus, lasted 33 days for a male child and 66 days for a female child. So this would be the 33rd day after Christmas Day that they went to the temple. And what's also interesting is that uh, they, they, they went together as a family and they did two jobs for the price of one because the purification offering or prayer or whatever is a separate thing to the offering for the firstborn son. They're, they're two different offerings. And they could be done at different times. There's nothing in the law that says they have to be done at the same time. Nothing that says that the baby has to be there for either of them, as far as I can see. And one is for the, for the mother to, to be involved in, and one could be, one could be done just by the father, by, by himself. But actually, they chose to go as a family and do them at the same time. And that says something about Mary and Joseph, the kind of people that they were. They were a bit like Simeon and Anna. Those two people also chose to go to the temple. There was no particular reason why, as far as we can tell, why they had to go on that particular day. It wasn't a special festival. There was no law that said they had to be there on that day. They chose to go on that day. In fact, Anna chose to do lots of things that were above and beyond what the law required. And I want to suggest these four people were were all people who had a personal faith in the living God. They deeply respected the Jewish scriptures. They deeply valued the temple that God had given them as a place of worship. But just going there on the appointed days and giving the appointed sacrifices in the minimum possible way was not enough for them. They they naturally wanted to do more as a personal expression to God. And that's the first part that I want to make. God gave his son into a family where both man and woman had a living personal faith in God. Yes, they valued their religion, but it was more than just an outward form. 
I was thinking of it like, like this. Do you have a trellis in your garden? Do you know what I mean by, by a trellis? How would you describe the trellis? What's, here we have a gardening expert. Actually. What is a trellis, Ian? It's a, yeah. That's right. It's, a, it's a, usually a wooden structure with holes in it, either diamond shape or square shape or whatever, so that a living plant can go, grow through those holes and be supported by it as it grows up towards the sun. The structure is not the plant, but it's a framework for the living plant to grow. I believe we can see in the lives of these four people a plant that is growing around the structure of the Jewish religion. And God gave them the laws and the temple and the appointed days and sacrifices so that faith could grow around that and produce its fruit. And we see that in the lives of these four people. Now, it would have been a very special time for, for the family, obviously, and particularly for, for Mary as she's going through this purification period. It seems very odd to us because we're not, we're not used to the Jewish laws. Uh, we, we just come into church on any day, no matter what we've been doing. It doesn't, it doesn't affect us, really. Uh, but they had all kinds of um, cleanliness laws that meant that if you'd been involved in certain sorts of activity or particular things had happened, like you'd, you'd had to bury a relative or something, then by touching their body, you became unclean for worship. And you would not worship God in a public way for several days, and you'd go through various washings and so on, until you were clean again. Now that's part of the framework, the structure. Uh, you, you have to find a meaning for that in your own life with, with God. And what, what I believe all these cleanliness laws were, were really teaching us was what we've done in our prayer of confession that we come before God as sinful people who live in a sinful world. And as we seek for God's mercy and we pray for his changing, transforming power, we pray not just for ourselves, but also for the world around us. And a, a mother who's gone through the experience of childbirth, well, it's good for her to have a few uh, days or weeks out of the, the, the full duty of family life, and as a, quote, unclean person, there'd be lots of jobs that she, wouldn't, she shouldn't really be doing, other people should be doing them, and that would give her a physical rest. But if she was a spiritually minded woman, it gave her the opportunity, it gave her time out to think about this new life and what God wanted for this new life. And to face the fact that when we bring children into the world, we bring them into a sinful world in a world where they will suffer pain just like she suffered pain in bringing the child into the world. And a spiritual woman would bring that to God in prayer and would pray for the child and pray for herself and pray for her family and maybe for the world as well if she was that way inclined. Maybe she was having thoughts like that uh, before they came to the temple. I don't know for certain, but that's, that's kind of a guess really. And I just wanted to, to, to say that, that there are many of us who, for one reason or another, are just having a period of time out from our normal activities. It may not be 33 days of a purification ritual, but it might be time out from our normal activities for all sorts of purposes. I know I am as a teacher, I'm having five and a half weeks away from, from college, and I can use that in lots of different ways. And the problem is, whenever you get time out from a normal activity, if you don't choose to use it for something worthwhile, 
the risk is it just gets wasted. And sometimes my experience has been that you know, I've had this long holiday and I've not planned to do anything with it. So I've just, you know, it's been this on that day and this on the other day. It's all been a bit random. And at the end of it, I thought, well, what have I done with the five weeks? Not much. Do I feel any better after the five weeks? No, I don't. And it's almost as if I've been given this opportunity and I've let it run through my fingers. So we're very thankful that this year that uh, Debbie and I have, have actually thought about what we're going to do with our time and not, not just let it happen day after day. And that's a great privilege. But, you know, you may be in that position as well. You may not be on holiday from, from work. You may be forced to stay at home by some circumstance. It might be a nice circumstance, like looking after children, in one case. Or it, which can, which, it can be nice, so I'm told. Though, of course, it has its pressures, as Mary knew. Uh, or it might be that we're, we're, we're out of the normal run of things because of illness, or, or what seems to be a problem. You know, that's God's opportunity. We can plan to use that time to let God into our situation in a way that we can't do when we're in the normal thick of everyday life. And perhaps for some of us, God is offering us a time out through an experience that we've never thought of as an opportunity for time apart. Just leave that thought with you. It's interesting that when we read about this temple event, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph came as, as a family unit to go through the purification ritual and to offer a sacrifice to redeem the firstborn son. That's why they came. But it doesn't tell us anything about what happened when the priest was doing the purification ritual or when, when they were offering the sacrifice, what it was like, what it smelt like, was the fire, blah, blah, blah. We don't hear about the priest. What we hear about are two people who weren't priests. They weren't part of the temple authorities. They were Mr. and Mrs. Nobody, as, as far as the authorities were, were concerned, but they were somebody as far as God was concerned because of their living faith in him. Let's take Simeon first. Do you notice that the Holy Spirit is mentioned three times for Simeon? He's a man upon whom the Holy Spirit rested. The Spirit had already told him personally that he would physically see the Messiah. On that day, the Holy Spirit said, Simeon, go to the temple today. The Holy Spirit told him to go on that day, and he obeyed. He was used to hearing God in his own heart. And again, Anna is a similar person. She's described as a prophetess, somebody who hears from the Holy Spirit, but is also able to speak that so that others can hear it too. And it just so happens that after Mary and Joseph have had this unexpected meeting with Simeon, they turn the corner and there's this old woman preaching about the Messiah, full of thanksgiving. He's here. He's amongst us. Where, where did she get that thought from? God's timing is absolutely perfect. These, these people are there because God sent them to be there. Why? What, what benefit was that to Jesus? What benefit was that to Mary and Joseph? Jesus was going to grow up with Mary and Joseph and he would be influenced by them. And their attitude of living faith in God would be the background against which he would grow up. The fact that they respected and used all the Jewish traditions and laws and yet they did so not in a mechanical way. They used it as a framework for living faith. He picked up on that. He grew up with that. 
That's what he was taking in with his mother's milk, if you like. He was used to seeing her praying. You know, I'm guessing, but I'm, but I'm guessing that based on my own experience. I don't think I'm particularly a holy person, but I believe my, my, my mother is a spiritual woman and, and was uh, from before I was born. Uh, and in, in, in something like a similar way, that, that, that would have been there for, for Jesus too. But, you know, the parents were not enough. It was important that other people were involved in the process as well as the parents, partly for their benefit, especially at this stage when he's a baby, but also later on. And Simeon has very particular words to say to Mary and Joseph that they are astounded by. Did, did you notice that? It says his parents, Jesus' parents, meaning Mary and Joseph, were amazed at what Simeon said. Now, some people have been amazed that they were amazed because they thought, well, hang on. Mary and Joseph have both had uh, visions of an angel separately. They've, they've, had the, you know, they've had the shepherds come. Maybe the wise men had already been, maybe they hadn't by this stage. We don't know for, for certain. Uh, but why would they be surprised at, at what at Simeon has to say? Well, again, I can't, I can't look inside their heads and say for certain, because you know, I'm, not, I'm not a mind reader. But it seems to me that even when God has spoken to us and we know what his will is, and we know he's a wonderful God, we are still human beings. And changing nappies day after day, what you're looking at is a baby, isn't it? And even if in your, in your deepest heart of hearts you really believe that baby is the Son of God and the answer to the world's prayers, still a baby. And when, when somebody else says... This baby is the light for the nations. It's surprising because what's inside your head, what's a private family experience, is now apparently much more public and it's there in the outside world. It's a bit like somebody who has a very real faith inside. Sometimes to say that to our work colleagues or maybe some of our friends is actually quite hard. It's a kind of little pain threshold that we have to go through. We're not, maybe not, not used to it. It doesn't, doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't, ha doesn't have to be hard, but it can be sometimes. And it was a bit difficult for them to overcome that. But Simeon says more than that. He says, it's not all going to be easy. Not everybody is going to accept what Jesus has to say. And even for Mary in particular, he says, it's going to really hurt you. What happens is going to be like being stabbed with a sword. It's going to really hurt you. But it has to be this way. Don't give up. It's not the end of the story. This is happening so that all God's will and all God's truth can be revealed. And it will be revealed. And if we see living faith in all four characters, I believe we see a real word of hope through Simeon. And he's preparing Mary and Joseph to see that even if things appear to go wrong on a human level, there's something beyond that that is the will of God. And I think just Simeon and Anna being present is a very hopeful thing. There are times when it might have seemed to Jesus that nobody was going to understand his message. And nobody important was going to accept it. And perhaps the disciples would be snuffed out. It might have seemed like that. But perhaps when he remembered what he was told by his mother. You know, when you were a baby and we took you to the temple, we met these two complete strangers 
who believe so strongly in the promise of God and that you would be fulfilling that, that promise. That's a reminder, I believe, that God always has people who are ready to respond to his promise. It might not seem like that to us. It might seem that everybody around us, perhaps in our circle of friends or sometimes in our family, is going to be hard-hearted and oppose the Christian message. But God always has some people somewhere who are actually turned towards him. And they can turn up in a very unexpected way. The story won't end. It will always continue. So Anna and Simeon are a sign of hope. And I believe also that they're a sign of love. Just think about Anna for a little while. We're not told a lot about her, but we're told her family name. And we're told that she lived with her mum and dad and grew up in her family. And I guess she learned about life and about relationships through that. And she learned enough about that to get married and to have seven years with her husband before, unfortunately, he died. So she learned about life and love as a child growing up. And she took that understanding with her into her marriage and she learned how to love in a marriage. And then it ended, in, possibly in tragic circumstances. And we might think on a human level, what a waste. She could have gone on loving that, that man. They could have been together in their own family for the rest of their lives. And it came to an end. Now again, we don't know exactly what age she got married, but probably people tended to marry, so we think, in their teens. And you'd be old if, you got, if, if a woman got married at 23. That, that would be old. So when Anna became a widow, she was probably in her mid-twenties. Certainly not much more than 30. And she'd be living for decades after that as a widow. And we might think... Could, could be the bachelor, don't you think? Uh, and, and God didn't. She was able to take the lessons of her childhood into her marriage. And she took, the, I believe, the lessons of her marriage into the rest of her life. Because she learned how to devote herself to one person. How to love and serve one person. And that's what she did for the rest of her life. Who was the one person? It was God, the Lord God, the Lord God of the Israelites. That was the person that she dedicated the rest of her life to. She'd always loved him. She'd been taught to love him as a child. She'd learned what love meant through her family and through her marriage. And of course she was grieving and of course she was uh, very badly affected by that. But her decision was not to forget her marriage, but to take with it the lesson of love into a deeper relationship with God. And friends, that's where we're all going. Life is always about learning and gaining something and growing through what we're, what we're fed and taking it with us into the future. But at the same time, letting go of things that have served their purpose and that can't help us anymore. It's about leaving things behind, just like Abraham did, and about moving forward to what God has for us next. And the, the transition, the changeover, is difficult. It's wrestling. The, the deciding what to let go of and what to aim forward to in the future is, is always a wrestle, and it's wrestling with God as he wrestles with us to bring us to a new place. 
And I'm sure Hannah wrestled a lot to go from her bereavement to a life of devotion to God. But she made that transition. Doesn't mean necessarily that it stopped hurting. My, my mum was widowed when she was 25. And when we came back to the UK, she got a job at an infant school as a teacher. And the headmistress of that school was a, was a lady, uh, I guess she'd be what, in, in, in her uh, 50s then, who'd been widowed in the Second World War as a young, young mother, similar to my own mother. And that was kind of God's blessing for them both, to be working together side by side. And I remember my mum once telling me about this year, years later, that she'd been chatting with her, her, co, uh, her head teacher about her own experience of being a widow and had been asking her, does it, does it change as the years go by? Does it get easier? And she said, no, it still hurts just as much. And yet that woman was playing a real role in society and was affecting children's lives and affecting families. And for Anna too, she was affecting people and she was devoting herself to God, not because the pain had ended, but because she was offering it to God in a different way. She'd found a way of moving on. And God can do that for us too. So, four characters, four interesting characters whose faith was growing on the trellis of the Jewish religion, but it was a living faith producing real fruit. Characters who had a hope in God, not a vague hope, it might be or it, it might not be, but a certain hope that God's will would be accomplished, but who also had a realistic hope that it would cost a lot to get there. And what would get them through would be the same thing that gets a mother through childbirth. Love for the child. This was the kind of family that God gave his son into and the kind of people that he brought in as, if you like, God-parents. Godly people who blessed the parents of Jesus. And for us, that's the kind of people that God trusts the message and life of his son to. Shall we pray? As we remember that little family of Mary and Joseph and what they went through before even Jesus was born, Mary had to accept God's will for herself and she did through faith. The Bible says, blessed is she who believed what was said to her by the Lord. And in a parallel way, Joseph had to accept what God's will was for their family. And in committing himself to be Mary's husband, he also committed himself to live as Jesus' father, even though he was not physically the father of Jesus. He accepted Jesus, as it were, into his heart, had a place of love for him in his life by an act of faith. And Father, though we realise we're not physically related to your son, our desire is to live for him and in his strength. Help us to follow his example of trusting ourselves completely to you, of receiving your blessing through other people and of growing up in the sure knowledge of your love. Lord, where we need to leave things behind and to move on in our life, help us to do that and to trust you. Lord, where we need to take time apart in order to grow to know you and to find you in a new way, give us wisdom and courage to do that. Lord, make us those who are faithful, that your life may be seen in us. Amen.
Amen.